in Georgia to make a citizen's arrest, you have to observe a felony. It has to be a felony. As soon as Ahmad gets to the point where he's in front of the truck, you hear a shot go off. Y'all, you deserve professional hair color that makes you look your gorgeous best delivered right to your door. You can take your hair coloring at home to the next level with Madison Reed, and it starts at just $22. Women have had two options for coloring their hair for decades. That at-home color you got out of a box that's outdated or going to the time and expense of a traditional salon. Many clients of Madison Reed comment on how their new hair color has improved their lives. Women love their gorgeous, shiny, multidimensional, healthy-looking hair. This is game-changing color you can do at home. And you'll look like you just came out of the salon. Madison Reed color is unique because it's crafted by master colorists who blend nuances of light, dark, cool, and warm tones. And they create over 55 gorgeous multidimensional shades. Find your perfect shade at madison-reed.com. Best case, worst case listeners get 10% off plus free shipping on their first color kit with code BESTCASE. That's code BESTCASE. Hello, and welcome to Best Case, Worst Case. This is Jim Clemente, retired FBI profiler, former New York City prosecutor and writer-producer of CBS's Criminal Minds. And with me today is... Hi, everybody. It's Francie Hakes, former state and federal prosecutor. Jim, it's nice to see you since we're video chatting, but we're still on different coasts. This is a very stressful time for me and my family and a lot of my friends, but I guess it is for most people. And... It's just the the biggest problem, I think, is that we just don't know. There's so much contradictory information out there and there's so little really known definitively about this virus that we just don't know what to do. Nobody does. No, nobody does. And it's interesting, Jim, because a couple of weeks ago we had an episode about this and I talked about constitutionality of lockdowns and some of that is now making its way through the courts. So one of these days we'll do a follow-up. But in the meantime, crime never stops, unfortunately, although I think it paused there for a while. But you you know, you have some serious crime. We've discussed some of the issues, but I think today we're back uh, following up on, on a very recent case. Ahmed Arbery. Yes, he was 25 years old, about to turn 26, and he was apparently going through a neighborhood that was predominantly white. He happens to be African-American, and he'd apparently been in this neighborhood before. But let's talk about the things that sort of came out since the time that we did our last episode on this. And as we were recording our last episode, the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigation, came out with a statement saying that they arrested the McMichaels, the father and the son. The son is the one that had the shotgun. The father is the one that had the pistol in the bed of the truck. The son struggled with Arbery, and three times the shotgun went off. The son had his finger on the trigger. And one thing that I didn't focus on last time, but I did after seeing the video again and again and again, is that shotguns typically have to be racked. In other words, a round doesn't automatically feed into the chamber. 
you have to rack back the action, which is a big, maybe a seven or to nine inch grip on the barrel of the shotgun underneath it. And you have to pull it back to eject the previous shell casing and shift it forward to put another round in the chamber. And that seems to be the kind of shotgun it was. Didn't look like a semi-automatic shotgun. There are some, but it did not look like that to me, although the action is very quick, so I don't know. It's hard to tell. And, you know, I, uh, I've prosecuted some federal gun cases when I was at the U.S. Attorney's Office here in Atlanta, and I feel like I'm a little bit of an expert on illegal guns, but definitely not an expert on legal guns. And we certainly haven't heard that there was anything illegal about this shotgun. It looks like a normal length, so it's not a sawed-off shotgun, which would be illegal. But I don't know, I think, enough about shotguns, Jim, to know whether it was. But uh, you know, you're right. I think it's highly significant if it is a shotgun that requires that it be racked in between being fired. Yeah. Now, if typically the way you hold a shotgun to fire it is one hand on the grip with your finger in the trigger and one hand on the action, the thing that you rack back and forth. And so if he had been holding it like that, then after it fired the first time, what can happen is if your hand is on that, it can automatically be pulled backwards and eject the shell just because of the force of that round going out. So it could be that because they were struggling with the gun, that it was pulled back after the shot was made, but it would have had to have been pushed forward again and then back again and forward again in order for those three shots to have been fired. So it's very deliberate actions, what you're saying. It seems like it. It does seem like it. And that, again, ramps up the intention here. Well, and we, what, one of the things, sorry to interrupt you, Jim, but one of the things we don't know yet, uh, at least I haven't seen it released publicly, are any autopsy results of Ahmad Arbery. So I don't know how many times he was hit. Clearly, uh, there was a fatal shot. Clearly, he was killed in the definition of that by uh, Travis McMichael. At least that's what it appears on video. We should say allegedly, but it's what it looks like to us. I mean, it certainly looks like to us, the younger McMichael killed Ahmad Arbery. And certainly intention and all of that is going to come into play. And I, I want to discuss that with you today. But we don't know yet how many times he was hit and whether it was shotgun pellets or whether it was the kind of shotgun that had slugs. There are some shotguns that don't use bullets that have, you know, nine pellets. There are some that have slugs. Yeah, actually, it's not the shotgun. It's actually just the cartridge that you use. I mean, any shotgun will have multiple different types of cartridges. So they have birdshot, which is tiny little pellets, smaller than BBs. They have multiple pellets that are lead pellets that are the size of regular bullets. So they can have nine in them, as you said. And they can have they can have one ounce slugs as well. So there are multiple different possibilities for that. My understanding was that he was shot twice and we could actually see the third shot. It seemed to be directed upwards into his chest. That would just a simply horrifyingly devastating. That would very easily be a, a fatal wound and it is devastating. And but I wanted to watch the video over and over again on the biggest screen I possibly could so I could see it very well. And 
it's pretty clear that as Ahmad was running towards where the truck was parked in the middle, to the right side of the road, slightly into the middle of the road, he was running sort of in the middle of the road. And it wasn't until the last second or so that he abruptly turns right and and goes onto the side of the road, onto the grass and dirt, and swings wide of the truck. And I don't know if it's because that's when he first intuited that there was danger or whether that's when he saw that there was a shotgun in McMichael's hands or if one or both of them said something to him that made him change directions abruptly. But it was almost as if his feet got tangled up when he made that move. So it was a very unplanned move to me behaviorally. And then the the camera goes down and comes back up just as Ahmad was still traversing the length of the truck on, on, from our perspective, the right side of the truck, the passenger side. And he's pretty wide of the truck. But as he's getting to towards the front of the truck, he makes an, another abrupt move radically to the left. And we can't see the McMichael son at that point. But as soon as Ahmad gets to the point where he's in front of the truck, you hear a shot go off. And so we know that if they are engaged, that the son has to be there. And if they're not engaged, that means he shot at him before they were engaged. Then the next thing we see is McMichael's backing away with his hand on one hand on the trigger and one hand towards the front of the gun on that action. And they go backwards, struggling out, out of the frame to the left. And then they come back forward. And now the positions are reversed. And they're coming, they're moving from left to right. McMichaels is basically going backwards. Ahmad is going forwards. And this is when we see what most likely is the fatal shot. And it's just horrible. It's just haunting seeing this happen. Unfortunately, having to see it over and over again. And I have to tell you, Francie, I, when I was doing this stuff for a living every day, you know, in the behavioral analysis unit, we develop a, a clinical detachment. And, you know, just so you can focus on the actual physical actions and the behaviors and not on the emotion of it. But I've, I'm so removed from that that I do focus more on the emotion of it. And it's just terrible to think what was going on there. Now, I have no idea how much the parents are going through, but just to know that Ahmad Arbery was, you know, basically fighting for his life at that moment. And well, there was clearly a struggle, Jim. I mean, you know, there was clearly a struggle and lots of people on our Facebook uh, page. We, I, we really enjoy hearing from our listeners and I'm glad that they have weighed in. And a couple of people uh, tweeted at me as well. Some people had some fairly negative comments. Uh, I even got accused of uh, racial bias. Why? Just ridiculous. Which is just ridiculous. Well, why? I mean, I don't understand. Because I said I don't. Because I said I don't know what's in the heart of the McMichaels and whether they're racist, which I do not know. I certainly have my own thoughts and guesses about it. But I hope what you and I try to do on this podcast, Jim, is bring our experience. And my experience of a, as a prosecutor means 
looking at things as dispassionately as possible. As you say, I'm uh, as removed almost as you are from that dispassion that I used to be able to have as a prosecutor. And I certainly had emotions as I watched this video, but I've always tried to make my career, and even after I left the department, about justice. And I think it's important. And of course, I have a bias about Georgia. I admit that. I live here. I've grown up here. I love this state. I'm proud of this state. I'm proud to be from here. It has a very troubled history. I acknowledge that, a racist history. I acknowledge that. Of course, that's true. But that is not the Georgia I know. That is not the Georgia I grew up in. Uh, And I worked as an assistant DA in South Georgia. I've worked with uh, people like the McMichaels who were invested, well, at least the older one who was an investigator for the DA's office, good old Southern boys. And good old Southern boys does not mean good old racists. Maybe it does, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. And I refuse to tar the entire state of Georgia. One person specifically said that Georgia is a woman-hating hellhole that ought to be dissolved. And I, I firmly disagree with that. And that well, is especially when you look at time. at least, I know at least three female prosecutors from Georgia, right? And I, I don't think it's a female-hating, what is that? Hellhole. Hellhole. Well, it gets, <laughs> I will say that it does get hot and sweaty <laughs> hot at certain hell. times during the summer. Look, but, it definitely gets hot as hell, especially I hear what you're hot. saying, Francie, and, and, you know, I know people want you to say that it is absolutely clearly racist. And there has been strong arguments, obviously, that, that it is a racist action. Yes, I agree and, with that. There are strong and, arguments. And if, and if the McMichaels, particularly the father, who was an investigator for the district attorney's office, who had multiple years of service, should be smarter than to just say he he's a black man running. So I think he's the burglar. Hopefully he wasn't that ignorant. Hopefully he wasn't that biased. Hopefully he wasn't that racist to think that. But it appears that way. And we'll find out. But I understand why you're reserving judgment. And just because you're reserving judgment doesn't mean you're racist. I know you. I've known you for many years. I know that you're not racist. And I know that you do not accept that from other people, that you do everything you can to shut it down. And yes, you come from a state that has a bad history with that as, you know, accumulation, but certainly not every person in the state was like that. And just as not every person who looks like you and I do is like that. And so we have to be measured in our indictments of other people. And I understand why, because you feel a strong responsibility, having been a prosecutor, not to make judgments before you know all the facts and before the justice system speaks. Well, and speaking of the justice system, Jim, I think that's a great segue into some of the new developments that we have in the case that we know that we didn't know a week ago when you and I recorded uh, the first time. So let's, I mean, let's talk about some of the things that have come out since then.
Y'all, one of the things I love about true crime is that the further you dig into a story, the more layers you uncover. That's also the best part about the puzzle game, Best Fiends. The more I play, the more I dig into, the more fun it gets. As I've gotten better over time, the puzzle game has gotten more challenging and even more fun. I'm so invested in Best Fiends that I got my friends and family invested too. Best Fiends is a unique and exciting puzzle experience unlike any other puzzle games out there. Best Fiends updates the game monthly with new levels and events so it never gets old. Best Fiends treats the game like a service for their player. I find myself playing in random places. You don't need the internet to play, so you don't have to worry about Wi-Fi access. So while my husband's watching TV or while I'm waiting in line at the grocery store, I find myself playing. I love collecting all the characters, and every month there are new themed challenges. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips, and you can even play offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Well, I think the first one was the fact that the man who took the video, and as we said in our first coverage, it seems like he must have been aware. Otherwise, why would he be videotaping? And he came out and said, look, I had nothing to do with what happened to Ahmad. Now, did he say that because he knew they were going to run him down, but he didn't know they were going to take out their guns and end up shooting him? Or did he say that because he happened to be just driving down the road and he came upon it? I'm just not willing to say that the behavior appears to agree with that. Yeah, I agree with that, Jim. It just seems, it does it does beggar belief that he just happens to be in the right place at the right time to capture this on video. I, I That just does not seem credible to me. And, I, and I'll tell you why. The reason that I don't believe he is just happen, happening to do that is that the first thing captured by the video is Ahmad running. And then as he comes around the curve, you can see Ahmad being confronted by a white pickup truck stopped in the middle of the road. So had that happened first, then he may have said, oh, there's something interesting going on. I should videotape this. So I do believe he knew about it in advance. It just seems like that that's what it was. Of course, we don't know what he saw minutes before is this the second time that they confronted them well context is important but also jim think about this think about while there are a a couple of moments where the struggle for the shotgun or the struggle for ahmad's life is out of frame on the other hand the cell phone during most of it is remarkably stationary and so that to me does i mean if i'm sitting there and i happen to be filming something that i think is odd like i see a man running down the street jogging down the street and i see a truck stop and i think to myself oh i'm going to videotape this cuz it looks like it's about to be an encounter i'm not saying i believe that that seems ridiculous but let's say i'm doing that the second there's a struggle for the shotgun and you hear a shot go off what do you do don't you jerk or drop your phone or call 911 I mean, I realize it was just a few seconds, but still none of those things happened. And I think that to me is the most significant behaviorally that speaks to this guy, not just happening upon the event. Right. And another 
significant fact that came out afterwards was the fact that in a police report that is contradicted by Mr. McMichaels. He says that the guy who took the video actually attempted to block Arbery and failed. And that preceded, obviously, what happened. So I heard, and I, you know, and there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of misinformation out there, but I heard that the video taker actually tried to block Arbery. Arbery didn't want a confrontation, turned around and ran in the opposite direction. And that's when we saw what happened in the video. And it just it just defies belief that this video taker did not know what was going on because, again, he took a video of Arbery simply running down the street. You can't see the truck in that instance. And unless there was a prior incident where the truck tried to stop Arbery and that instigated this video taker's you know, videoing it, then perhaps that would justify it. But I don't know. I don't see anything on the video that shows me evidence of that. Well, I don't either. And Jim, one of the things that I most wanted to discuss with you today was some of the things that have come out afterward that bear upon the initial statements by the McMichaels about self-defense and about citizens' arrest. You know, we talked about it a little bit last week, and I said that in Georgia, to make a citizen's arrest, you have to observe a felony. You can't just arrest people like say people are jaywalking or you see someone speeding. You have no right to arrest them. It has to be a felony. The point is to protect people who hold people for the police after they've committed a felony from being prosecuted for something like uh, false imprisonment or something. It gives it basically gives citizens the right. You know, if someone's committing a murder or an aggravated assault or a serious crime like a burglary and they run or they run out of the store after, you know, shoplifting very expensive equipment, you can hold them for the police without yourself then being prosecuted for a crime, something like I said, false imprisonment. But here, Jim, their claim was that he had committed burglary, that you've got burglary that had gone on and that they knew it, although they talked about burglaries having happened in the neighborhood, which I think we now know, at least if the police are telling the truth, is not true. It's, there were no reports of burglaries in the neighborhood. Right, exactly. And But I have to go back one step, though, because my understanding is there's another another part to that sentence. Uh, it says you have to, in order to affect a citizen's arrest, you have to be a witness to a felony committed in your presence or have a substantial connection to a crime. Uh, that seems very amorphous. I have no idea what it means. Obviously, in law, we're both lawyers. We know in law, a law can be written, the words can be written, but they're interpreted by the courts. And so the courts will tell us in rulings what they believe it means. And that can change over time. I can say that making a citizen's, that if someone is shot by you in making a citizen's arrest, the fact that the citizen's arrest was being made, uh, whether or not it was lawful, is kind of irrelevant. And I just want to say, too, that it's not like Georgia is full of people that aren't law enforcement running around making citizens arrest. I mean, this is not Barney Fife stuff. This is just this is bizarre. Mm -hmm. It almost never happens. And I think it completely fails as a any kind of defense here. And you can't cause the situation 
that you then claim right. you had to defend yourself from. That is clear in the law. And so that's, that yeah, falls. That, that I know. And that is exactly what I believe the McMichaels tried to do and what the first district attorney accepted. And that is McMichael said that Arbery attacked us and that's why deadly physical force was used. But they set up the situation. They set up the situation by by menacing and threatening Arbery with deadly weapons. They have created a situation where they are stripping rights away from a citizen of the United States. That's a crime. There's it just is. no it's question a about potential it. federal crime. Well, there's so much more we really have to talk about about this. So many developments have come out since the last time that we spoke about this case. And I'm sure there's going to be more. So till next time, thank you for listening. Come back next week and we'll continue our discussion about the killing of Ahmad Arbery. Until next time, thank you for listening. Signing off for Best Case, Worst Case. Best Case, Worst Case is an XG production. Produced by Jim Clementi at Empire Studios, LA. Engineered and edited by Mike Thal. Music composed and performed by Simba Sumba. And hosted by Wonder. You can listen to Best Case, Worst Case on your favorite listening app. We are on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you want to do something about child sexual abuse, Darkness Delight can help. Did you know that more than 90% of the time children are sexually abused by someone they know? Jim, this isn't about stranger danger. It's about learning the true risks. Darkness to Light's training can help prevent, recognize, and react to child sexual abuse in your community. When you make the decision to get involved, kids can be protected. It starts with you. Visit www.d2l.org to take the training and learn more. That's d, the number two, l, dot org.